Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Johnny Wolf. Johnny's the CEO and founder of Homeroom Co-Living. So Johnny, he shares with us really a new model that he created around co-living. And it's one of the fastest growing co-living companies you know, in the United States. But he educates investors on current properties and redesigning them into lucrative co-living opportunities or dreams, he calls it. But this platform may be something that you as an operator want to think about. It could be a way for you to increase the NOI of your property, the income, so therefore you're increasing the value as well. Or maybe you have a few units, if it's a large project, that you could devote to this or at least to test it, kind of like an Airbnb model or something like that. But it could be a way that you know a couple people might pay more for, say, a room. If you have a couple, you know, two-room apartment, they may pay more per room as a total than they would if they were having to rent the whole project. And so this is a different model that I've not really heard much about, but it could be something that could drastically improve the income of your property and something you should definitely have just in your tool belt of options. I know you're going to learn a lot from Johnny. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Johnny. Pleasure to have you on. You are an expert in a space. I believe it or not, after even a thousand shows, I don't think we've really talked to anybody that's an expert in what you are doing. And so I'm looking forward to this and really exposing the, the listeners and myself to this. But give us a little of your background and getting into the real estate business. And then, you know, tell us about your focus right now in real estate and we'll dive in. Sure. I started my career in finance in the Silicon Valley in 2007 and bought a property out of state in Midland, Texas, oil country in 2008. That was my first rental. It was back in the day when you could do 10% down loans on rental properties, which thank goodness is all the money I had. And then I continued to work in the Silicon Valley doing financial modeling, financial forecasting, and finance strategy for some big technology companies in the Bay Area. In about 2015, I built up my real estate portfolio and I'd always lived with roommates in the Bay Area, but moved to Austin, Texas in 2015 after analyzing different markets, deciding Austin had the best appreciation potential of any market in the United States. So I moved there to buy properties with primary residence loans once again, you know, trying to stay capital efficient. When I was in Austin, all of the properties I had there, I rented out by the room and I enjoyed it. It was the way that I had lived. I kind of was able to provide cool roommate housing to a lot of people that were migrating to Austin. And also I was able to cash flow really high end properties in Austin, Texas, which ended up doing well on appreciation basis over the last few years. And moved to Kansas City because I was looking to balance my real estate portfolio with something with a bit more cash flow in 2018. And I had found about 50 roommates on Craigslist over that time frame and realized there had to be kind of a better way for roommates to live together than go on Craigslist or Facebook. And so I decided to start a roommate company of some kind. And it became what Homeroom is today. We're in 23 cities throughout the United States in the middle of Kansas City, Dallas, and Austin, looking to expand into San Antonio shortly. We have 295 roommates. You know, from a lot of core metrics, we've grown over 300% this year with goals of growing between four and 500% next year. Wow. 
Yeah, congratulations just on the idea, right? And making it happen and even just the growth that you've had, you know, through this. So give us some details of that. You know, you talked about you started renting things by the room, right? And then you started this business around that. What does the business do? How does it link people together? Who is that tenant, you know, that's looking for your services? Yeah. So, you know, the cohort of millennials is really the main focus. Obviously, there's some zennials, Gen Zs are starting to sneak in at the early stage, but we're generally 21 to 35. What I personally saw is a lot of my friends between after college, 22 to mid 30s, they weren't getting married yet. And so while living alone in a studio was something all of us could afford, it just wasn't something most of us really wanted. And then when I moved to Austin, I saw the exact same pattern with other millennials, everyone, you know, living in an expensive studio on 6th Street actually did that for a year. And I kind of hated it. I I think everyone wants where you live to have community, family of some kind. Maybe not everyone. We've we've seen one in five folks want to live alone, but that that appeal to community is pretty widespread. And so that 22 to 35 year olds is the main focus. They're generally young professionals. Our average credit score is typically above 700. The average age is 27. Gender mix is pretty balanced. Although we do have some houses that are like all girls and some houses that are all guys, but the average stands up being a bit over a year. So, you know, we do see the millennial rental like to have more flexibility. And we actually allow you to transfer from property to property at home room. But in terms of how long they stay with us, it's usually a year or two or three. So is this something that, say, you know, other landlords can use? They can use your software or hire you all? You know, how does that work? Yeah, so you can partner with Homeroom, and we're working on expanding that nationwide as we speak. The way to do that would be twofold. One is if you're open to working in a market that we're in, you can either buy a property with us or we can teach you how to do it yourself, right? So sort of like setting up an Airbnb, you have a property, it's in the right area, or it has the right size, matches the specifications we recommend for co-living, and you can add it to our platform. And then you'll be able to get up to you know 50% more rent by renting by the room. So it really, what we find is that with larger homes, especially invest or tenants, they are willing to pay the same amount even if a house has five or six bedrooms. And so that's when you can start to make quite a bit more as a landlord and as an investor. Do you see this working in say multifamily properties as well? You know, whether it's a four unit or a 204 unit, you know, would this work in a property like that? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of co-living companies on the coast. Star City is based out of San Francisco. They have a co-living model. And then Common out of New York, they're both thriving venture capital bag co-living companies. I think there's a development out of Denver, which is actually one of the coolest ones in the United States. In Europe, we're seeing a ton of this is the saturation level of co-living is pretty massive and it's mostly in the multifamily space. So I think the US, you know, kind of we could follow Europe a lot in terms of fashion and all that stuff. We're following Europe here in the co-living space. And I think we'll see large multifamily co-living buildings throughout the United States over the next two to three years. So you mentioned, you know, like a landlord, current landlord can partner with you all or use your services to help use, you know, this co-living model in some units or in their house, your rental house, things like that. You know, you mentioned like getting 50% more per rent too. Is that because of the flexibility too that the tenants have? Like they can go to other properties or can you explain that a little bit? I can imagine like somebody listening right now that's in real estate business, they're thinking, oh, wait a minute, if somebody can just move anytime, how do I count on rent? What kind of lease do we have? You know, what happens when this person moves out? You know, does my rent go down? How does some of that work? Yeah. So there's a few pieces that kind of drive up the rent revenue in a co-living property. One is you're increasing rent per square foot. And that's generally by subdividing 
into more room. So we'll typically add a bedroom or two into like an extra space. It'll have to eloquently fit into the property. Let's say there's like a den or some unused space. So that'll add rent, but sometimes properties without any changes with five or six bedrooms will actually make substantially more through co-living. So we have an example property that was renting, I think for 1700 in Kansas city. And then when we added, we got the, it up to six bedrooms and it ended up renting out for 2,500 total. So just that kind of increase. What we find is that the demand for roommate housing is so high that if someone transfers, they're required to give a notice and we can backfill that room. And a turn on a, on a bedroom is only a, a day. So we can actually have someone in there two days later. So that sort of creates a backstop for investors. And obviously our occupancy has to be very high to kind of sustain that ecosystem. And typically it's in the upper 90s. Nice. Well, how much say does that tenant have about who's moving in with them? That's a good question. And we are looking into that more as we speak. One of the challenges, we actually have always had a very high touch, high involvement model with our tenant base. They actually, we do a video interview with every tenant, kind of like the same call right now. We do a background credit check, eviction history, just like standard property manager. And then we set up a video call with the current roommates. And the roommates and the current roommates and the new roommate all get to say, no, that's not a good fit. It usually has to be based on like something like, I don't feel safe with them. I feel uncomfortable, things like that. It can't be like they didn't like the sports I like or something like like that. It has to be something more substantial. We're looking at that and trying to see if that slows things down too much. That may be something we change over time and switch to more of a text-based approval method. But we do think it's important to have the current tenants have the ability to weigh in. You don't really want people just like thrown into your house. Yeah. Personally, I would be very picky about who's moving in with me, right? You know, I'm going to have a lot of questions, right? I would hope that I would have some say in that. So it's neat that you all are looking into that. I can just completely understand why somebody would want to know. What about, you know, just through the pandemic, through this last year, all that, how has this type of model fared, you know, through all that? It's definitely been interesting and scary, especially at the beginning. One of the advantages that co-living has is that, with the average age of being 27 and the way the pandemic shaped up, it was not something that was a life-threatening thing in most cases. We did have a couple cases at homeroom of it, three three different cases. Only one time did it pass to another roommate. We, we had a process in place where we kind of quarantined the person. Generally, it wasn't as after the first couple months where everyone was, I think, regardless of where you were, were pretty terrified. Everyone calmed down and we actually were able to continue our remote leasing. We had, you know, a medical doctor giving us advice about how to make it work, but it was okay. We still kept our occupancy above 90%. There was some companies that were a bit more extended that they were trying to grow way faster than we were at the time. And so they got hit pretty hard. We were at 97% occupancy and we just kind of held. No one really moved for the first three months of the pandemic in or out. So it's where you work, you kind of froze in time for three months. So if you had like 20, 10% new units, it would be a tough time for anyone in co-living. Yeah, I appreciate just the clarity on, you know, over the past year, no doubt in the very beginning, it's scary for everyone because, so, you know, such unexpected, right, times and nobody knew what was, you know, the next six months to a year held. And so, you know, I guess moving forward a little bit, I know through this model, you know, it, it pushed you all to create the tech, right, to move to like fully remote leasing. And so that it's just a neat model, you know, to be able to be fully remote uh, leasing, not to have to be in person. And could you just elaborate on that a little bit and what all that entails? 
We've heard other people talk about this a little bit, but not in depth. And I think, you know, that's just kind of the wave of the future. I think, you know, it's going to be so much remotely and so much, you know, no contact with this individual. However, you still got to vet them. You still have to know quite a bit about this person, right? Especially if you're, you know, the co-living model. So how have you all created the tech? What tech are you using to be able to be fully remote when leasing? Yeah. So, you know, we started the company in 2018. We started, we did the standard leasing model. We did it in person tours, showings, all that. And we quickly realized that one of the challenges with us is we had many locations. We had leasing agents running all over the place. It just didn't make sense. So we transitioned in early 2019 to doing either video or Matterport tours of the property. And then we did a virtual call with the tenant. We did online background credit eviction check, and then we transitioned to a virtual call with the current roommates. And so we found that, and we kind of integrated that inside of our homeroom co-living app. And I think most of what we're doing is none of those pieces are can be, pretty much anyone else can emulate that process. I think it's super efficiency in which you can learn to be a video leasing agent. And we have a couple and they've been in leasing forever, like, you know, 10 years for one of them. She was a leasing agent at A-class apartment buildings. And so she actually likes it. We've actually been able to attract even better talent because leasing agents historically have to be like stuck in an office all the time. But when you do remote leasing, now your leasing agent gets to travel around and but can still close a lot of leases at a high velocity. And then they can also work after 5 p.m. They can also work on the weekend some. So you trade a little bit, you trade a little off, and maybe it won't work for a true A-class apartment where the person expects to see that smiling face and get that in-person tour. But I think especially for more affordable locations, you know, B-class type properties where people are relocating, I think it's a bonus. You know, we've seen a ton of people that are just thrilled that they don't have to drive out to the house. And so we're closing 70% of our leases without people even seeing the property. And we have highly customized rooms. Every room is different. And with apartments, multifamily properties, you have rooms that are all very much the same. So I feel like in a multifamily building, it should be five times easier. Our leasing agent's biggest challenge is that when a new house launches, they don't know exactly what the room looks like until they have the Matterport tour. So I think with a multifamily, you could switch to that 100% long-term. And I think your closing rate would actually be higher. Nice. So could you just briefly walk through that process a little bit? Like somebody comes to the website, I guess, or looking for a place to stay. They're considering the co-living model, maybe because it's cheaper individually, right? They're kind of partnering with somebody else and, you know, in renting a unit, maybe in a place that's highly desirable, but maybe more expensive than they could afford on their own. And so do they find you through the website? And then kind of what happens, you know, to, for the tenant through that process to actually, you know, renting a unit or a room? That's a good point. So just kind of to focus on the one thing you said, why folks choose co-living. One is affordability. It's 30% cheaper than a studio. And so this can translate in a, we use single family homes at homeroom, but this could be the same reason for someone that's co-living in a multifamily apartment. If you have a co-living, maybe a four unit or something like that, or a four bedroom within a multifamily space. The other piece is that it's, it's very convenient. We typically furnish the common areas, provide kitchen essentials. So if someone's moving from out of state, you don't have to bring all your stuff. You can also kind of watch TV on the first day you move in without unpacking all that stuff. So those are the main pieces, affordability and simplicity. And then as we talked about a little earlier, the community aspect is very cool. Moving into a new city and having, being able to go out to drinks with your new roommates is I think priceless. In terms of the specifics of how the exact process works, we actually have them come through our website. We actually do all of our screening via text message. 
So we use a text message-based platform in which we have lead tracking for texts. And we will occasionally jump on the call if they request it. We'll vet them through our free screening questions, kind of credit background, eviction history. Also share a little bit more about what Homeroom is. We have a quick video that we'll ask them to watch. And then we have them set up a time to talk to one of our leasing agents and they can self-schedule that. On the call, they'll be they'll be able to do a 3D virtual tour of the property with the agent who will screen share that virtual tour. And then they'll get sent that information after the call so they can like look around the property themselves. And then from there, they do the back, they do the application. And then after that, they would do the video call with the roommates. And so that part, a lot of the front end screening is done by our team in Venezuela. And a lot of the application, credit check, and scheduling of the roommate call is done by our team in the Philippines. So we have a lot of overseas help that kind of gets the logistics handled as well, helping the technology. No, that's awesome. We also use lots of people in virtual assistants and they're so skilled and some so loyal. I highly recommend that also. But it's just neat to hear the process. It sounds like there are still, you know, numerous points of contact, right? Where you're actually, you know, your leasing agent seeing this person, talking to them in person. You know, you're learning a lot. They're learning a lot about that person, you know, just through those conversations and whatnot. But they're not having to go meet at that property, right? That saves your agents so much time. Like you said, just going all over the place, so much time wasted, right? When shield time, you know, just between properties going all over the place. So it makes so much sense. Why not do it virtually? Kind of like we're doing almost everything now, right? And so Johnny, what's your opinion, I guess, you know, is now still a good time to invest in real estate? Any predictions, you know, that you have say over the next six to 12 months, what are your thoughts about just the real estate market right now? That is such a big question. I think we're focused on the single family space. So I'd say that's where I have the most educated thoughts. So I'll stick to that. We've seen some of the most aggressive price increases on the single family space ever. Like I mentioned, I have some properties in Austin. I looked down at my phone one day and it said I, the price of the property had increased 19% in 30 days. Like I thought there was something wrong with Zillow. <laughs> so it was also like a little alarming because you're like, this feels very uneasy. Like this is not how real estate should behave. It's a 3% a year kind of thing. Maybe in Austin, a 5% a year. So we dug into it because we talk to investors every day. Is it a good time? And that question comes up a lot. A few of the key things that we've seen is that We've been underbuilding single family homes for a decade. So the amount of properties that are available to buy continue to decrease. We've also seen a big entrance into the space of big institutional groups that have been buying up properties and creating portfolios. So they're basically squeezing the, and then we've seen an increase in investor activity. So the demand for folks to buy their own homes is continues to get squeezed. And that demand is starting to rise as millennials get to the age where they're like transitioning from co-living into their family life stage. So what I think we'll see is a pretty aggressive decrease in property appreciation. I don't know when that will be, but it can't be very far into the future. I think it'll be the next six months, definitely the next three months, probably. I don't think we'll see a price dip. We'll just see appreciation. It'll level out to kind of what we've seen historically. You know, inflation is something that we upped our forecast internally from about 2% to at over 3%. So that's an interesting piece to the puzzle as well. You know, how that'll affect multifamily is that rents will go up. So then your NOI will go up and then your, you know, your value of your multifamily properties will go up. I appreciate the, the level of detail that you provided there, uh, just our depth, you know, uh, numerous aspects there that you're taking into consideration, you know, as you're thinking about the next three to six months, definitely some things all of us should be thinking about. We know you don't have the crystal ball, but we expect you to still have the answers, you know, so I'm just kidding. 
No, grateful for that. You know, Johnny, what about some daily habits that you were disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? Yeah. So daily habits, my girlfriend helps me with this is waking up in the morning. I do kind of a morning routine, coffee, workout, go outside. I find because it's a startup environment, we work very hard. And so if I don't force myself to do those things first thing, then I don't do them. So that's very helpful. I think working with some strategic advisors in core areas of the business that I'm in have been super valuable. And I generally try to give parts of the business or money to those people because over time, every time you talk to a strategic advisor, you may not get something great. But if one in four times they give you something you never would have stumbled into or would have taken you a year to get to, it's a massive leverage point. So those are things that have really, I think, catapulted us. I can see huge moments where an advisor has said, hey, let's do X. We try it. This actually happened to us six weeks ago. We started to do Facebook marketing with a new growth advisor we have. We started to have 40 meetings with investors per week. Uh, We had to hire a salesperson. And it was kind of like all because he said, hey, you're missing a big opportunity here. The price and the conversion makes sense. So those are two keys. Morning routine, making sure you have the right advisors involved in your business. Great points there. I appreciate you bringing up the advisor point as well. So crucial that, you know, I mean, why reinvent the wheel, right? There's people that can help you. And yes, sometimes you do have to pay them and it's so worth it. Maybe not always, but more times than not, you know, these people are, have been there and can save you so much time and headache. And look what it did for you, you know, by having advisors, having these people. Because one of my questions were going to be, what is your best source for meeting new investors right now? Yeah, that's really a number one is, you know, and to kind of, you know, weigh in on that advisor thing, I think screening advisors is super important <laughs> yeah, because I think there sure. are a lot of people out there and people offer to be our advisor a lot. <laughs> like we get offered a lot. The more success you have, the more people want to advise you because they know you have a bit more money and maybe your company's worth something. I find that the folks that are offering to you a lot are not always the ones that you necessarily want to go to. You want to go the ones that are too busy maybe to offer, maybe the ones you want. So I think that's something to keep in mind, especially if someone's going to say, I want 2% of your company or I want a very large amount of money. So just screen those advisors. But if it's one of the most high leverage points, if you screen and you get great, it's invaluable. And then in terms of the way we're getting investors, our Facebook marketing campaign is huge for us right now. We spend, I think, 5,000 and we get 10 meetings a day, just... People just schedule, self-schedule. So that's working really well for us. I think for the long time, I was against paid marketing. <laughs> I was all about guerrilla marketing. I was all about the cheap and free stuff. And you know, it took that advisor to sort of say, hey, let's invest in this. There's people, the reason people spend here is because it works. Nice. No, that's incredible. I appreciate you sharing that. Just even your mindset shift, you know, from not wanting to do paid to now, it's like, wow, it's really working. You tried it, right? And so if you had to pick one thing, the number one thing that's contributed to your success, what would that be? I think grit. (laughs) I think grit and boldness. I think those two things is sort of like a iterative wheel of sorts. Like if you're bold, you do things probably before you're ready to do them. And then inevitably you get into a spot where you're not ready to do them. Because you just did something that you weren't quite ready to do. And then it takes a lot of grit to hang in there and fight through that. But by doing that too early, you get further way faster than you possibly could have. But then you have to have kind of like that intensity and commitment to fighting to the next level to actually execute and what you put yourself into. So that's sort of been what it's been for Homeroom is just us continuing to do that over and over again. And how do you like to give back? Oh, 
Well, you know, I do some advising to early stage startups. That's one of the things I enjoy doing is that very early stage. I used to do big brothers, big sisters, but I haven't had the time to do that lately. But yeah, so it's mostly startup advisory stuff. We have other folks that are just maybe a year behind us. And it's really helpful to have someone else that's in it kind of sharing, you know, advice to getting going, getting out of being stuck in different situations as an entrepreneur. That's awesome. Appreciate you sharing that and being willing to give back in that way. We've been involved in Big Brothers, Big Sisters a little bit years ago. It's just a great program. It's just great to get connected with young folks that you can help in a big way. Well, Johnny, it's been a pleasure to meet you and just learn from your steps to success and what you've done in real estate and even this co-living model that, you know, potentially, you know, multifamily operators that are listening and investors should be considering, right? Should be thinking through, is this a good model? Is this a way I could increase my NOI? Is this, you know, something I should consider? Maybe I should reach out to Johnny or do more research, right, around this. So on that note, Johnny, thank you again for all the information and the way you've given to our listeners and myself. How can they get in touch with you and learn more about you? Yeah, you can reach me at livehomeroom.com. That's our website. Sorry, you can reach me at johnny at livehomeroom.com. You can email me anytime. I think, you know, living as a service, flexibility kind of movement and co-living is really our specialty and stuff that we love to talk about with folks that are exploring it too. So if you reach out to me and have questions, if you're going to try that or any other kind of roommate housing, very happy to kind of share thoughts or weigh in. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success. 